Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. Bless my brother in Jesus' name, Lord, and may he have words that will find good soil. Hey, you're all good soil, remember? You're good soil, and you are a people that are going to reap a hundredfold and more in your lives. So, Father God, I thank you, Lord, that Todd and I have the honor to minister to good soil that will be productive for the kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good. So, uh, two things before uh, we get started. First, uh, Priscilla, I'm going to try to speak slowly so you can translate. Um, I've been in other countries and I've needed translation and I, I know how that flow can be a little bit disrupted. Um, and then second, I want to apologize in advance. For some reason, the, the church um, server is not accessible right now, so I wasn't able to pull my sermon up and print it out. So I had to recreate it from memory during worship. So if it's a little like not tied together... Uh, that's why I apologize, but we're going to do the best. <clears throat> so if it's good, great. If it's not, uh, I'm sorry. So, <laughs> okay, so we're, we're continuing our series on um, Titus. So Cal started us off last week with the introduction on chapter 1. And uh, this week we're going to get into uh, just the, the meat of what Paul is instructing Titus to do in the churches in Crete. So that's where we're going to start, and uh, and we'll see uh, how we wrap it up next week. So most of you have probably at some point heard the term progressive Christianity. And it sounds like a really, really good thing, and but when you get down into the meat of it, it's not so good. And if you look at things historically... King Solomon really, really had a good grasp when he said there's nothing new under the sun. And so when you compare notes, and maybe you've heard me preach about this before, maybe you haven't, that progressive Christianity is just a new title for an old thing called liberalism. Um, Liberal Christianity that came out of the late 1800s, early 1900s. It's the same thing, repackaged and a little more extreme. <clears throat> but, but the basic premise is that the established structures, whatever they be, um, are unjust and they need to be reconsidered with a new framework. And most of us know, you know, the kingdom of heaven, you know, God's character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When he puts down tenets in scripture, it's not really negotiable, right? So what the attempt is to reinterpret what's written down there or to just abandon it altogether. <clears throat> and so you get ideas, like today, you get ideas kind of like the patriarchal structure of things. And I won't get into details of that, but it's like this male-dominated, male-ruled uh, world. Um, there's some issues with it. We won't get into it too much. But what these movements attempt to do is to undermine 
the importance of uh, virtue and uh, objective morality and character that has been known to establish godly and righteous societies. Now, no society is ever going to be perfect in this fallen world, Christian or not, until Jesus comes back. <clears throat> However, when we follow the tenets of Scripture in the context in which we live, we can have a godly society where the general ethos or the general culture is to look out for the goodwill of others. And that's what the whole Christmas message from the angel was, right? Rejoice, goodwill towards men. And I think we've lost a sense of that goodwill in our modern society. So we're going to get back to getting our own house in order, according to Titus 2, so that we can begin to establish living a culture of goodwill toward men. So Paul is instructing Titus. <clears throat> He's in Crete, right? It's one of those Mediterranean countries. And we'll get into a little bit about their historical context here in a minute. But Paul's very first like, mention in this chapter is verse 1. He says, you, Titus, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. So I'm going to go through uh, the chapter. I'm going to read through it, and then we're going to go back and break some stuff down. So the first thing he says, teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Right? So he's already, uh, in chapter 1, given him the mission. You need to establish elders in all the churches. You need to do this. You need to do that. Now he's drilling down. Like As you're establishing that, start teaching these things. So that gets us into verse 2. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in endurance. And then verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then verse 4. Then they, the older women, can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Verse 6. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech so that they cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you or about us. Then verse 9, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and 
to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Then finally he ends the chapter with verse 15. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So that's the chapter. It's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. This is one of those do's and don'ts lists. I mean, like it's, it's like, what do we do if we're godly? What is the example? What do we avoid when we're not godly? You know, so like, what's going on here? So before I, I get into commenting on the different verses, here's a little bit of context in Crete at the time. Now, uh, Cal, last week, brought up uh, Paul quoting one of their own poets, saying that Cretans, all Cretans are liars and evil brutes and gluttons. And then he prefaces it saying, this saying is true. Like, okay, right. So what can we pull out of just that right there? We can pull out a cultural value system that from the outside looking in looks like they value lying and brutality and gluttony. We can break it down a little bit more by what Paul has described in these verses that Cretan culture in the first century, right, um, Paul's day, um, a little bit of research, we find out that there is a, a bit of a matriarchal culture, so there's a, a, a strong female-dominated part of society. We see that they are part of the polytheism of Greek and Roman culture and religion. And they have found archaeological um, discoveries that address both Zeus and Asclepius. Who's Asclepius? He's an ancient Greek god of healing. And so they have inscriptions found in Crete where they address Zeus as savior and they address Asclepius as savior. So you have the king of the gods and you have the great healer son of Apollo, who is also known as a savior. So they would inscribe prayers, Asclepius, save me, Asclepius, heal me. Which is important because we see this savior motif, this savior phrase pop up in Titus quite a bit. So this is, this is part of the established setup here. <clears throat> so they've already got this idea of a deity as a savior which puts Titus in a tough spot because not only does he have to live the exemplary exemplary life of a believer, he also has to be very clear in his communication to not confuse the belief system that Asclepius can be a savior and Zeus can be a savior 
and Jesus can be a Savior, which is the same thing that Paul encountered when he was preaching in one of the Greek cities in Acts. When he and Barnabas came, and Paul started preaching, some miracles happened, and then word in the town began to spread that Zeus and Hermes had shown up and that they needed to be honored. And they thought that, that Paul was Hermes because he was the talker. And I guess you know, Hermes is the messenger of the gods. And that Barnabas was Zeus. And so they're trying to sacrifice animals to him. And they're saying, no, 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 no. No. And, but they're walking in this power. And then there's another instance where Paul is preaching the gospel. This is at Areopagus. This is in Athens in the public square. And he's preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And people misunderstood it. And they thought that he was saying that there are two gods. There's this God named Jesus. And that there's God named Resurrection or Anastasia. And so they were getting ready to start building shrines to two new gods to kind of put into their pantheon. And they had to squash that really, really quick. They had to be very clear with their language to avoid this kind of confusion. And so now he's putting this responsibility on Titus because this is, this is the way people think in that era. Okay, so that's a little bit of, a little bit of the background. Um, he tells Titus to teach older men a few things. Be temperate, be worthy of respect, be self-controlled, have sound faith, be sound in love, and to be sound in endurance. <clears throat> so what does sound mean? Does that mean that we can hear really well in faith? And now if you look at some other translations, when you read the word sound in terms of human virtue in the scriptures, it basically means be disciplined. So he's saying to the older men, be temperate, you know, keep your cool, don't give in to your anger. Be worthy of respect. So everything you do, let it be respectable. Be self-controlled. Be disciplined in your faith. Oh, that's a little bit different than what we think of in terms of exercising faith because we, we tend to, to view faith as, as like more of these like organic or spent spontaneous shows of devotion to God. And it, it's, he's saying, be disciplined. Have a regiment of faith. Have a regiment of faithful practice. Have a regiment of faithful study of the scriptures. So be disciplined. Set up these disciplines in your life that in a sense will create you know, an order that's, that's worthy of God, an ordered lifestyle. Then he's also saying be disciplined in love. So love isn't this spontaneous overwhelm of affection for somebody. It's this day-to-day -day routine regular discipline of acting lovingly toward other people. It's, it's the inglorious part of love, right? When we do the wedding vows, for better or for worse, it's that discipline of love in the worse. In sickness and in health, it's that discipline of love during sickness, richer and poorer, right? It's that discipline of love and commitment, even though there's a, there's a poverty element there. So there's this discipline of love and then also discipline and endurance. 
Hard times are going to come. We're going to face storms. We're going to face battles. Whether it's uh, society standing against Christianity, whether it's just the hard knocks of life, whether it's a political agenda in the workforce, like whatever God calls us to, no matter how hard it is, our job is to be disciplined in our endurance to follow him regardless. So that's what he's teaching the old men to do. Why is he starting with the old men? Because the old men are the establishment of Cretan culture. They're bringing the traditions of Crete to bear into the next generation. And so Paul is teaching Titus at the very outset, address the older men because they're setting the pace for the next generation. So now we're going to take some of those descriptions. Remember he said that Cretans are liars, are evil brutes, and are gluttons. <clears throat> Brute basically means a dumb animal. Um, and a dumb animal is something that can't control their impulses, that can't control, that can't think outside of their own interest. That's what a brute is. And so when we apply that to people, like they're brutish, they're animalistic in the way that they approach things. And so that's the general setup in Crete. And that they're gluttons. Well, it's not just that they like to eat a lot of pasta, right? Or orzo or whatever. It's that they do things in excess. That whatever they put their hand to, it's excessive. Excessive to the point that they hurt themselves excessive to the point that they hurt their families, and excessive to the point that they hurt their society. So if that's the, the, the culture, right, that you basically manipulate, that's what lying is, a manipulation to get your way, and if you're constantly acting on your impulses without thought of what the outcome is going to be, and that you value taking things to excess then it makes sense why Paul now is telling Titus, there are specific things that we need to address in the church. Being temperate, right? Being temperate in your approach to things goes against this value system of being impulsive to detriment. Being worthy of respect. If they know that you're an honest person, that you're acting in a worthy manner is going to set you apart in a culture that values self-centeredness. I remember, you know, Byron owns a factory. And I, I don't know how many years ago this was, but he, he talked about there was a company that, maybe it was Ford, I can't remember, that, that really needed a quick turnaround on a particular part that their normal manufacturer could not produce um, they, they were just overbooked, could not produce. They recommended to this company, hey, get a hold of Ada Metal, Byron's company, um, because they are fair, they're honest, they'll give you an honest price. So one of Byron's competitors, because they were so covered up, recommended to one of their contractors, get a hold of Byron's company because they're honorable, they're honest, dignified is a good reputation and so that's what Paul's saying set yourself on a path right what, what, what is this you set a routine of respectability 
in your day-to-day -day actions, in your interactions. So he's teaching the old man, act every day in a manner that's worthy of respect. And instead of being gluttonous, right, everything to excess, be self-controlled. Control your appetites, control your impulses, be self-controlled. Which, you know, if you read Galatians, part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. Sound in faith, sound in love, sound in endurance. So that's to the, to the older men. And then he addresses the next group of major influencers in the culture, the older women. In a similar way, they are bringing in the culture of the past and shaping the culture of the present. And so if we're to change a culture that's given to impulsivity and excess, we have to change those um, people that are the biggest influencers, the elder group, right? So the older women, um, he tells, them, tells uh, Titus, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live. Reverent is another term for respect, we can say it that way, is that they, they live respectable lives, that they're not contentious people, and to not be slanderers. So don't, don't jump onto the gossip train, right, where you're just talking bad about other people because that doesn't foster goodwill. So teach them not to be slanderers, and also not to be addicted to much wine. Like we say, we've got, a, we've got a culture that's given to excesses, alcohol being one of them. And to be, to be honest, like we, we kind of, we're going to get into this a little bit, but historically, most of the churches that are meeting in the first century are not meeting in a building like this. It's not an established denomination like we have in America. What we have are pretty much a bunch of house churches. And in the ancient world, you know who organized the houses? The women in the house. Because the men were out doing their social duties or whatever. The women were organizing the servants. They were organizing the children. They were in charge of the finances. They were in charge of like, delegating basically a whole business operation on these estates. And so the older women who are doing this it can be pretty stressful if you have a whole bunch of people that's not not very compliant, right? <laughs> I mean, like it's just like management. And so he's saying, don't don't talk bad about people, even if you're frustrated with them. Be reverent, be respectful in the way you approach people. And at the end of a hard day when you're super stressed, don't polish off two bottles of wine, because that's not a good stress dealer. Like, like, we manage our stress in good ways or in bad ways. And turning to the bottle is not a good way to handle the stress. And it's also not a good way to show what godly living is about. So don't be addicted to, to much wine. And then to teach what is good. So you find the good and you teach from the hard lessons you've learned, from the new things you've learned. Right? You teach the good so that as he goes on, that the younger women can learn from your example, can learn from your words. I mean, that's why, that's why it's very important, like in a church, you now we have a small church, that communally we, we have to learn from each other. And like, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of uh, 
like the Proverbs where it says, you know, like the gray hair on a, on a person is a sign of wisdom. And, like, and as, I, as I've told some of the men here in the church uh, sitting, because they'll be like, well, well, you're the pastor, so you, you, should, you should say more. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll say as much as I believe is due. And at the same time, you've got more gray hair on your head. And there are some lessons that I can learn from you. Because I want to honor that spot. You know, I've got a little bit of gray, right? So, you know, that's enough to give me about five minutes in a conversation as opposed to like Byron, you know? He's got a lot more gray. Like, there's a lot more I can learn from his decades being married to Nancy, from his decades of serving the Lord, from his decades of running a business where, you know, what have I done for decades? Read books. Tried to practice the faith as best I can, right? And, uh, and managing a, you know, a, a household for less than a decade, there's things I can learn. Like, I'm always going to assume that somebody with gray hair has something I can learn from. And there's a humility in that. And that's what Paul is saying here. Like, these older people can teach their life lessons to the younger people. And so he's instructing them to do that. And then he turns his attention from the older women to the younger women. Because the younger women need to be urged to love their husbands. And this isn't just um, that overwhelm of emotion, right? It's that, that disciplined choice to work for the goodwill of your husband in the easy times and the hard times. Because any of us that are married, I mean, like, it's not a bed of roses. Like, there's challenges. And there's tough challenges that we have to work through. Our dedication to love one another will help us work through those differences. And so that goodwill toward each other. And so there's this urge to, to the younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Believe it or not, there's a lot of families out there where there's not a lot of love in the house. And it's hard on the marriage and it's, it's hard on the kids. And the kids can have a lot of like negative stuff put into them because they're not in a loving environment. It's very important. And Paul knows this. Like, like This dedication to love for the goodwill of others in your household is extremely important. And also to teach the women to be self-controlled. Once again, back to that cultural thing where, where gluttony, that, that taking things to excess needs to be tempered, right? With self-control. To live a life of purity. And it says to be busy at home I don't think Paul was thinking 1950s America, housewife, kind of like what we tend to portray whenever we're talking about what this means. Because remember, the women living in the houses are running the property. Well, the men aren't. And so when you're running the property, you're managing the interactions of people on the property, and then you're hosting a house church that's going to be the person that's organizing that church. And so to be busy at home, you know, basically means be responsible and be diligent with the tasks that have been put in your hand, right? As Casey was saying, you know, to, to those that much are given, much is required, right? If, you, if, if you're a, a wife in the first century uh, in Crete, and you've been given an estate with, say, 30 servants, and, and you know, say you have, like, five kids, you're responsible for managing 35 people and an estate. 
So you have to be responsible, and you have to be diligent with that. And so that's what Paul's saying. These younger women are, are moving into uh, this new role in life. The older women can teach them some of the tricks of the trade and managing their households well and doing it in a godly manner. A lot of that, you know, there's a lot of stress in managing an organization. So, like, don't turn to the bottle, right? So there's, there's this huge social dynamic going on here for the young women. And, you know, when those stressors run high, it's easy to lose your temper, to go off, to fly off the handle, so to speak, um, to be reactive, uh, to say things that are unkind. So there's this exhortation to the women to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. Now, subject doesn't mean servitude. It's a whole different thing. Being subject means, like, adopting the role of a servant for somebody's goodwill. I mean, and it should be the same way with the husbands, that they also adopt the role of a servant toward their wives. Because that's how you foster goodwill and love towards others. Love is acting in somebody else's behalf, sacrificially. And so when... Paul tells husbands, love your wives. You sacrifice for your wives. Whether that sacrifice is what? Taking out the garbage, cleaning the bathroom, you know, bringing in money to pay the bills, whatever, whatever form it takes in the household, there's a sacrificial love that has to consider the spouse and the spouse's needs. And that's what this is talking about, is consider your husband's needs. Consider the goodwill of your husband so that no one will malign the word of God. So that's the younger women. And then for younger men, he goes on to say, encourage them to be self-controlled. <laughs> We've got a repeating theme here with self-control. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, Titus, show integrity, show seriousness, show soundness of speech, Okay, that doesn't necessarily mean be an orator, right? To be this good, great rhetorician. We look at the word sound, right? Disciplined. Be disciplined in your speech. Think before you speak, right? So he's telling Titus, think before you speech. But think before you speak. <laughs> and why? So that the words, what you say, what you teach, cannot be condemned. So the end result is that those who oppose you, because there are tons of pagans, there are a bunch of people that like to worship Zeus and Asclepius. When your words reach the marketplace, let them be so disciplined, let your words be so disciplined, let your actions be so honoring to God that those who oppose you would be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say. And then we turn to slaves. We don't, we don't have a class of people in America anymore known as slaves. And what we did have was nothing like slavery in the ancient world. Um, most of the slaves in the Roman world, it was a social class. It was almost like, like the working class with less rights, in a sense. So we could actually talk today, in, in reference to slaves, talk about 
workers, employees, in a sense. So teach employees to be subject to their bosses and everything. Try to please your boss. Don't talk back to them. You know, give respect where respect's due. You know, your boss is a position of authority. Respect the position of authority. I know that's not a popular way to do things today because everybody wants to get offended by something and go on some protest. Respect your boss. Don't steal from them. It kind of goes without saying, but if you have a culture of liars and impulsive people and people given to excess, well, that in some ways kind of looks like 21st century America. How do you go against that? By being honest and not stealing from your boss, not stealing from the company that pays your bills. Show your bosses, your managers, that you can be fully trusted so that in every way they, slaves, right, the employees, will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. It's pretty simple. And then at the very end, and this is the, this is the last part before the conclusion, Paul gives a little bit of theology, a little bit of reasoning for this, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, which tends to be the culture in Crete, to be ungodly, to be given over to worldly passions. So Paul's saying, contrary to that, teach the Christians to say no to this. Teach them to live self-controlled lives, upright lives, which means being honest, living godly lives in this present age. While, so we're doing this because there's an end goal, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing, this is the hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You notice that within three verses, he mentions God and Savior in the same sentence twice. To be very clear, the salvation comes through Jesus, comes through the one God, does not come through Asclepius, does not come through Zeus, does not come from any other Greek deity or Roman deity, only through Jesus Christ, the Savior. Because Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, to be eager to do what is good. That should be the characteristic of any believer. Even in this age where the phrase of the day is progressive Christianity or the phrase of the day is BLM or the phrase of the day Pick your agenda, DEI, whatever. We are not subject to the changes and the social movements of the day. We are subject to the eternal truths, the transcendent truths that God has revealed to us in his scriptures. It means being honest, being self-controlled, having a good will towards others, being dedicated, right, disciplined in love, 
disciplined in faith to those in our household, to those in our churches. Being disciplined in commitment to what God has called us to. Because when, when the movement of BLM fades, when the movement of DEI fades, when the movement of progressive Christianity fades, and all is said and done, and we stand before the great throne, the question isn't going to be, how did you support these groups? The question is going to be, how did you listen to the revelations that I gave you? How did you obey my words? That's what we're waiting for. To be at that throne, to say, I stood in the name of Jesus, and I pursued the kingdom of heaven. Albeit not perfectly, because we can't do that, and God understands that. But we do it with a heart towards the kingdom of heaven, because that was the most important thing to us, our relationship with God, that Jesus is our Savior. And, and by Jesus' work, reason we had communion, right? By Jesus' work on the cross and by our disciplined faith, disciplined love, disciplined endurance, the following the ways of God, we can stand at that throne and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the rest prepared for you. So Paul wraps it up saying, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So in conclusion, it's really simple. Everything in culture that says do something contrary to what God tells you to do, just say no, right? Just like that anti-drug movement in the 1980s. Just say no. Right? Hold on to the teachings of God. Live self-controlled lives. You know what? I'm not going to fault anybody if they like to have a beer at dinner. There's a big problem if you like to have a pint of whiskey at dinner. Big difference. Self-controlled. Same thing. I mean, like, if you're eating pasta, don't, don't gorge yourself till you can't breathe. You know what? One finger out, three fingers back. I have a lot of experience eating more pasta than I need to. And uh, it's taken me 40 years to kind of get back on track to being a little bit more concerned about the food that goes in my body. Just another thing. Be upright. Be respectful. Be honest. Live godly lives in the present age so that we can be rewarded by our Heavenly Father in the future age. And adopt an eagerness to do good. To do well by others. And that's, that's it. That's all there is in Titus 2. I mean, there's a lot because... Because these are lifestyle decisions. These are habits that we have to build over a course of weeks and months and years to, to be able to more fully embody this. Because like even on a stressful day for me, sometimes my diet goes off the rails. You know, like I'm so frustrated, I'm going to go eat three burritos at Taco Bell. Well, I know that's definitely not the best food to be eating. So it's, it's that self-control, but it's, it's learning how to do it and then developing a routine of doing it, a habit of doing it, so that we pursue the kingdom of God with all of our parts, not just the mind, not just the Sunday morning, 
not just our tithe, but maybe all of our finances should be geared towards the kingdom of heaven. That doesn't mean donate your whole paycheck to the church. It means be judicious in how you spend your money so that we don't become gluttonous or impulsive like the brutes and then have to lie to cover up our indiscretions. So that's, that's Titus in a nutshell. So, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. I pray that you move mightily in our hearts and that you, Holy Spirit, prompt us to pursue you to adopt lifestyles and habits and daily routines that honor you, that honor our families, that honor our churches. Lord, that we can stand with you in the kingdom of heaven, knowing that we pursued your ways and that you are honored by that. So we give you the thanks, we give you the praise, and we give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of The Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.